Good morning, Riverside. Um, I'd just like to introduce a friend and neighbor, Trevor and Flola, and Oem Flock as our guests today. It's an amazing story that we are about to hear, so just pay attention and listen with open hearts and open spirits to the story that they're going to be sharing. So, Trevor, over to you. Good morning. Molweni. Dumelang. I'm originally from Soweto, so we go like Eita, Eita, or Ola, Ola. Yeah. I would like to introduce my friend, uh, the most famous Andrian Flock. Notorious, not famous. <laughs> uh, I would like him, I'm, I'm in charge, so, um, so so that you know the, the rules here. This is a new South Africa, so black people are in power, so I told him that uh, I'm in charge, so I he accept. listens to me. I accept. So for those, for those who don't know, Wamflok uh, uh, used to be... Uh, the, the Minister of uh, Law and Order, which today they call the Minister of Police, during apartheid days. Uh, and then him and I, we, ha- we have a journey that we have worked together, which is a privilege and an honor for us to come and share with you. And I just want to, to thank the, the leadership in this church, Stephen and his family, or his leadership here, to invite us and to welcome here. We feel at home. Uh, but you guys don't dance. Ah, come on! How can you be South Africans? You don't dance. The Americans are waiting for that. Oh boy! I wanted to, to dance and then to show them that it, what they do in America is nothing. But one day we will do that. Uh, just thank you so much for for welcoming us and inviting me to feel at home. And then just to tell a little bit about myself. I'm originally from Soweto, and I'm very conscious of time because black people, they talk too much. They have a lot of airtime. I don't know if you noticed that. We can talk. And then especially if you are a black preacher, I'm a pastor, and we just preach, you know, an hour is too short for a black pastor. So I'm originally from Soweto. I just want to go straight to, 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 to our story because of time. Uh, I became a Christian 1984. I was 17 years. Next month, I will be 52 years old. And I'm looking forward for next month to be 52 years old. He's a youngster. And then in October, no, in December on the 11th, we are born on the same day. Though I'm older than him, he's born in the 11th of December, and then he will be 1936, right? Yeah. 30? 82. No, 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 no. not 82. <laughs> Born 1937. 37, 37, so he will be 80, 82 years old. So I want him to give, give him. So, you can see, Trevor from Soweto, when Flock was a minister of a... Uh, uh, during the apartheid era, minister, we were scared of him than, than all of you guys. We were not scared of white people, we were scared of him. So, 
This can only be God to put us here. It's a miracle that again and again when I think about it, and I know that I know that it is God. This is how we started. As I told you, I became a Christian in 1984. But it was this young man that I need to tell you to, to preface the whole story. In Soweto, in 1988, he walked into this church. This church was a mixed church, 1988 in Soweto. And then the church was black and white, which was very unusual in those days. White people, if you are found in Soweto being white, you are either a communist or you are a spy. You work for intelligence. One of the two. Unless you are a foreigner, uh, visiting, touring. But in those days, there were not a lot of, 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 of tourists. So this young man walks into this church, shocked you to see white people in this church. And he sat there. And the church... The funny thing about this church, anybody could raise their hand and, in, and interrupt the preacher and comment. And that particular day when this young man visited the church, uh, the preacher was talking about the issues that were prevailing in the country, apartheid, uh, all of that to do with, in those days, tear gas, all of this, uh, 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 solitary confinement, state of emergency, all of that. And that was his responsibility. So we hold him responsible. He'll tell you his side. And then what happened was that as the talk was continuing, this young man was sitting right at the back of the church. He'd been in this church a few times. And then he was quite fascinated by this church, black and white, 1980, 1988. And then suddenly, one of the members who was, uh, now he's in, his, he's in his late 70s or early 80s, he said something. That is, was related to, the, to the, what they were talking about. And for some reason, the young man was sitting at the back. He felt so angry. We all know that black people cannot be racist, right? We know that. Uh, that right, uh, black people are Christians. They're not violent. They are, you know, they are, they, are, they are good people. So this young black man was sitting at the back and he got so angry. For the first time, he realized the venom in, in, in him the anger, the, the, the hatred. And he knew that he knew that he needs to say something. Then he raised his hand and then the preacher gave him a chance. And then, oh boy, he spew out anger and all of that. And then, and then he said to that man, who happened to be white, he said to him, he didn't know him, they don't know each other. And he said to him, I believe you should go to a country that is Europe, where you were born, out of anger, out of all of that. And then the discussion continued. And then a few minutes later, that older man stood up. He said, I don't know your name, but I would like to tell you something. I was born in South Africa. I would love to visit Europe one day, but this is my country. And then he said, that's, that's all he said. God in his own sovereignty, he used those simple ways and convicted this young man. And then he, the young man knew that he knew that he knew that he's a racist. And then he, he broke and he cried. 1988, black racist. 
And he prayed this prayer, which I don't recommend unless you are serious. And then I call it terms and condition. Read this small print. The prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus, forgive me for this racist heart. I would like you to change me and so that I don't continue with this. I don't want to be a member of the church that is only black because I will perpetuate what I've been going through all the rest of my life. And da, 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 da. And you know the last word is amen. Little did you know that over the years, what God is going to do. And to fast forward, he found himself pastoring a church that is, was 96% white in Rhinebeck. And then, and then because he was pastoring white people, I don't know you know, white people are troublesome. Do you know that? And then, and then I found out, this young man found out that this white people are just human beings, like all human beings, they are troublesome like black people, because he was also black. I don't know you have met black people in this country. They are troublesome, they are noisy, you know, they always, they toy toy, they all do this thing. And then, a few years later, he was at the airport. Because I won't tell you the whole story today. There are a lot of details in between. But at the same time, I must tell you, uh, this young man found that uh, there were, in this church that he was pastoring, that white church, it was a very interesting, it was very exciting. While was pastoring that church, he happened to be in George. I don't know you know George. George is, a, is one of the posh areas in Western Cape. It, they have a small airport that they built there for, for I think they built for, 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 the, for, uh, for P.W. Botha. Uh, so it's about, it's a small airport, it caters for 15 people, and then you, you know, and then you just, you know, and then this young man happened to be in that airport. While he's standing in that airport, to his shock, he saw these three figures walking in. And then as he, as they walk in, he realized, one of them, he knows them. And then, and as they approach, he realized that is Andrian Flock. Because apartheid has made black people timid, during apartheid, black people or we black people were scared of white people. And the country has changed. White people are scared of black people today. It's like, whoa, you know, it's fair, you know, it's like, they had their turn, now it's their turn. And I know when I walk around, white people, especially white women, they're scared of me. And sometimes I enjoy this when I drive on the road, and then the robbers, and then the, 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 the red robbers, they go like red. And then you see a white woman coming, and then I make sure that I see her, I make sure that she sees me, and I, I switch, I, I, I lock the car like, I'm scared of you too. Ha ha ha. Isn't this a beautiful country? I think we take ourselves too serious. And we've got many Christians who proclaim Jesus, but they are so scared to death. I love this country with all the nonsense. This got beautiful country. We've got a beautiful people like him. 
And I'm not saying this as a cliche. I'm saying this because God changes people. Who knew that a black person would be standing here and share his story like this with confidence and, and excitement and freedom? Because this can only be done by God. Let's first finish the story. The young man went to the old man and he says, I know you. No longer scared of white people because apartheid, this demonic power controlled them, made people as if they are not human beings. He went to him and he says, listen, I know you. And he said, I, and, I, and then he said, your name is Andrian Frock. And the old man froze. And the black man enjoyed to freeze a white person for a few seconds. <laughs> That's beautiful. That can only be happening in the kingdom of God. And then after that, by the way, just to finish your story, that's my story. That is my story. That is how God has changed my life. The older I get, the less I become black and I become more Christian. And then it's not just a cliche statement that we throw around and say we are Christian when actually we are more white or more black. The Christians in this country, they find it natural to be white, to be Africana, to be They find it easy to be more sweating than to follow Jesus Christ. And the solution of this country, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you, the one come from the ANC, the one from, the one come, or let me even say this, the one come from the Christian Democratic Party, it will only come from God, from those who are serious. It has in. So, so since that time I met William Flock at that airport, we became friends. This is almost 10 years ago. We've been going around the country. We just came back from Bloemfontein at the university. We've been to Cape Town. We are now going back again. And God has been using us, simple as we are, to share our story. And today we are here. And then is it wonderful? And I just want to say thank you. So you have listened to a black person, as I told you, who goes on and on and on and on and on. So I'm not going to, to give him a chance to introduce himself and tell you a little bit. So we have an agreement with him and say, hey, I know old people, they go on and on and talk because I stay with my mom, you know. And then it just goes on and on and they repeat and say, Umflok, please, please, please. We, 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 we in Africa, we keep time. You know, black people keep time. So please. My brothers and sisters, I greet you in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Thank you very much for inviting me and Trevor, my brother, here this morning. Thank you for your wonderful reception that we received here this morning. Uh, Trevor, thank you very much. We became friends, and today you are my brother. Amen. And I'm, 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 I'm very, very proud that I can have a brother in Christ like this man sitting next to me. Uh, before I can testify and tell you anything about my life, I have to give all the honor and the glory Amen. to where it belongs, and this is to Jesus Christ. All the honor and the glory must go to him. I, for what we are going to talk about this morning, uh, I, I deserve no credit. I verdien geen eer daarvoor nie, all the honor 
and the glory must go to the Lord. Because if it wasn't for His Spirit in me, I would not have done what I have done and what we are going to tell to, to, to testify here this morning. I did not have, and, and you have seen, uh, you have heard that I have been born on the 11th of December 1937, so I am really, I qualify as an antique if you look at, 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 the, at, at the number of years. Um, but with the spirit of, of the world in me, I wouldn't have done what I have done and what we are going to tell you about this morning. It was with the spirit of the Lord in me. And I have, haven't had a Damascus experience. It is a, was a process and it is still ongoing. For me, growing nearer to Jesus. Today I am trying to walk in his footsteps every day. Doing, not, not only talking about it. It's easy to talk. But it's much more difficult to try in the world. And in South Africa, it is not easy to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and to obey what he, is, he, he told us. And he, he was quite clear if you, you look, look in his word, he was quite clear what he wanted us to do on, on, on many, on all the aspects of life. It is clear, but it is not easy to do that. But that is what they expect of us. So uh, Trevor and I met on, on, on that occasion in George. Since then, uh, yes, we, we, we became friends. We have been traveling the country, and I've been, he's being the boss. I'm following in his footsteps. Sometimes, sometimes he's a little bit late, but otherwise, <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> if, he, if he's, he, he did, didn't get lost, he's, he's, he's on time, and then he's, he's a good leader. So I must also testify that I'm following in his footsteps. I'm enjoying it. I think he's a brother in Christ. And then I read in the Word, in, in Acts 17, verse 26, a verse that has touched me. And this is what I would like to testify right in the beginning. The, in seven, Acts 17, verse 26, you will read, And from one blood I have created all the nations on the face of the earth. You can look it up. So the color of the skin is not important. The blood is the same. and It is from the Word of the Lord. Jesus said, I created Everybody from one blood, all the nations of people who walk, will stay, live on the face of the earth. And that is very important to me. And it is important in South Africa because he may, he's sitting here with a black skin, but the blood is the same. I have a white skin, but the blood is the same. And that is important for us to remember when we walk outside every day during our daily lives, the blood of all the people in South Africa is the same and as, as my, 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 my beweis plus, I can, must, must use the word of the Lord. The blood is the same, same one blood he has used to create all the nations over the ages. Um, I have been born from, from wonderful people, wonderful parents, Christian people. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I got to Dutch Reformed Church, Sondag School. And I started working in the Department of Justice. And uh, the problem was, looking back now, I realized my problem was that I did not put Jesus first in my life. I had other priorities. My priority, the first priority was me. Me, myself, and I. I was number one and not Jesus. And I must tell you, after all these years, uh, I have come to the conclusion that I know all or many, many things about Jesus. 
but I didn't know the heartbeat of the Lord, of Jesus. And his heartbeat is love. It's, just, it's not all the nonsense that's going on and things that, that, that are going and that we are trying to achieve. The heartbeat of Jesus is one thing, and that is love. And love is the basis of everything good. And if we can follow love, then you can follow, then you can achieve everything. If you don't have love in your heart, you will not forgive and you cannot, you cannot live forgiveness and reconciliation. Love is the basis of everything. So I have come to the conclusion after nearly 70 years, I did not know Jesus, the love, the heartbeat of Jesus. I know many things about him, but I didn't think it was enough. And I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity for him to stop me in my tracks and I nearly end up in prison before this happened. The, the fact of the matter is, then I realize he, he, his love. And if I don't follow his, him in, in this footsteps of, of love, then I will not end up where I want to be, where I want to spend eternity. And that is with him in eternity and in heaven. So, Trevor, now you can carry on, my brother. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you, sir. Um, Flock. Tell us a little bit about your family. I know you, you've got uh, kids who are not in this country. Uh, just briefly, uh, how many kids do you have? I was married to a lady, uh, and I married her at Uppington, there in the Kalahari. Married her there. She uh, suffered from bipolar depression. She took her own life after we had three children, uh, two boys and a son. My two boys are overseas. I cannot visit them in, uh, in, in Australia because they will not allow me to visit uh, Australia because I've got a criminal record. So you are talking to a criminal as I'm sitting here before you this morning. Uh, I have been found guilty uh, for an attempted murder. We try to, I, I know about what happened to Reverend Frank Chicani. People try to, to, to kill him, to murder him, and I know about that. So uh, I cannot visit them. I remarried after Cory took her own life. I remarried a wonderful Christian lady. She's got four children. She was previously married. Uh, she's also got uh, two, two kids uh, overseas. They are both doctors also in Australia. We have got 13 grandchildren. 13? 13. One, wow. three. Wow, that's and, a... And, and, and there are two, two, two of two, also already two great, great grandchildren. Wow. So the Lord is very good to us. And, uh, um, Flock, uh, the other thing is that uh, you miss to, to, to see your grandchildren that are in overseas, right? I miss them, yes. But I've, I've, I'm happy here. I have work to do. And uh, the morning like this morning, seeing the kids here and the, the old people, uh, I believe this is what the Lord wants me to do. You seem not, not to have a problem with that. I mean, many people will struggle with that. I mean, you finish off your sentence. This was more than 10 years ago, but you still, they've still done, it isn't well, given to you. Well, from, from time to time, they visit. They visit here because, you know, the, uh, it is cheaper for them to come to South Africa than for us to visit <laughs> Australia with the exchange rate. But, but you miss them. That, that is a fact. But you accept the fact that I am here, that I must... You, you know, if you have sinned, you pay a price. That is so, my brother and sister, if you have sinned, you always pay a price. And this is the price. I can't see my grandchildren uh, as regularly as I would have liked to see them. But this is the price that I have to pay, and uh, I accept it. It is the will of the Lord. You made peace with that? 
I make peace with that, yes. Wow. Sure. Because of time, let's go straight to the, when you, you became the minister of uh, uh, law and order. Because there are a lot of things that we can talk about. Can you plunge straight to when you had to bomb a Christian headquarters of a, of a South African Council of Churches? For those who don't know South African Council of Churches, it's a, it's a body of, uh, in South Africa, we call the mainline churches, that is, uh, not Catholic, that is uh, Lutherans, Presbyterian, and others. Uh, so they had their headquarters in Johannesburg, and then it was, at that time, it was headed by Reverend Frank Chicano, who at that time used to live in Soweto, uh, from the AFM, that is, uh, uh, what's, Faith Mission Church, and then during his era, they bombed the headquarters. So just to tell us why and how did you, what was the reason? I mean, you guys were Christian and you bombed a Christian headquarters. The building's name was Hotso House. In cabinet of the government, we received a briefing on a, on a, on a cabinet day that in Hotso House there were people, and I'm st- to this day I'm sure that the people from the churches did not know about that, but there were people sitting there and they were helping the terrorists coming across the borders, planting bombs and throwing hand grenades. They were helping them with money so that they could carry on with their lives. And we had uh, informers telling this to us, and we received this briefing the morning in, in cabinet, and uh, the president asked, but can't we prosecute them? And the answer was, we can prosecute them, but the informers were not prepared to come forward to testify in an open court, because if they did that, they would be dead. So afterwards, and this was the way in which he worked, he loved to, to work in the way that, working on the basis of need to know. Everybody in cabinet does not know everything that all of us know. So he asked me to stay behind, and when, when we sit, the two of us sit down, he said, colleague, you have heard what the briefing said this morning. I said, yes. He said, are you happy with that? I said, no. And he said, what are you going to do about that? I said, well, I haven't a plan. He said, well, I think then it is time that you make a plan to see that you can you stop this. That you can, cannot carry on that people cross the borders and then receive money in the building of the Council of Churches. I said, I think they didn't know about that. He said, that may be possible. That may be so. I believe it is so. But you, must make, you and the police must make a plan. So I go, went back to my, my office called the commissioner of police. We sat down and I told him what the president said. And he said, okay, I'll see what I can do. He went to Flakplas, and you all know what Flakplas is. Went to Flakplas, there he, we had discussions with uh, the officers there and, uh, and other people. He talked to Eugene the Cock and his men, and they did a, a recce of, of, of the building looking into how strong the building was and what can they do. And they decided to blow it up. And uh, they work, work on a plan, they work out how, how much explosives they need, but there they make a mistake. When they work out uh, the weight of the explosives, they weigh it on the scale and they, they put it, 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 the explosives came from, from uh, land mines they weighed with the, 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 the metal containers in which that was. 
So when they took the, the, the explosives out, it was less than they had intent to, to, to use. And that was while the, the building was not completely destroyed. But it was a very heavy, serious explosion. It blew out the, 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 the lift, out, out of the, the lift shaft, and it fell two street blocks further in the middle of a street without injuring anybody. So the Lord was, was, was there. Uh, also present there. He was, he, he, he was all the all the time, he was doing it, and 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 and lying and and who was there in the building with a great coat on, and we said she was carrying limpid mines, and that was the explosion, and it was all nonsense. But now you carry on lying, lying, and you all know that if you started telling lies, then it is very difficult to get rid of the lies. You must carry on on that story to try and, 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 and go through with that. And the lady to mention, uh, uh, her name was, uh, her name is uh, Shelly Gunn. She was a, a white lady. And then when she was uh, uh, blamed for that, which is, as he said, it was not true, she was pregnant at that time and she was put in solitary confinement and then she got a child for something like uh, more than six months, right? And later at the TRC, I mean, maybe we'll talk about it depending on time, when Flock and her, they met and then the truth came out that it was not her and then for some you were able. Do you want to tell us a little bit how did you close that chapter with her? Well, uh, I, I felt very guilty uh, about what happened to her because she was accused falsely. She was trained as a as a soldier for the for the ANC. Uh, I, I didn't know whether she saw any active duty, but uh, then after it, everything came out and it was the car. It was on the cards. Uh, she sued the, the, the police and she sued the Department of Justice and uh, Correctional Services and they asked me whether I would support her claims against the department and, and, and so on. And I said, yes, let us give her some money so that, that, that she can build, rebuild her life again. Uh, when, when we had the opportunity to appear before the amnesty committees, I also applied for amnesty uh, for Hotsa House and she was present and there, when I was giving my testimony, my evidence, the, 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 the lawyer asked me, and I asked her for forgiveness. She was very angry. She said, I'm not prepared to forgive you. And that was that. I, have, I didn't know what happened to her and where she is. I can only have done what I have done to her. Ask for forgiveness and see whether we can help her to rebuild her life and that of her child. Yeah, that's very sad. That's very sad, yeah. This is, these are the things that have happened in, the, in our country. And then, uh, and then many of us, we don't even want to talk about it, certainly as Christians. But let's go straight. You end up washing the feet of a black man. White people don't wash the feet of black people who flock. You leave the feet alone. <laughs> Tell us why. What happened? After applying for amnesty, and we, when, when we decided on, a, on going the way forward, we had an interim uh, constitution, 
And the post-amble of that constitution stated clearly that you, we can apply for amnesty, and that was open to everybody. We can apply for amnesty for deeds and, and misdeeds of the past, criminal deeds of the past, but then you must make a full disclosure. You must tell everything. And I decided to, 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 to ask for amnesty. But before that, I was not sure whether I should go because, you know, if you ask for amnesty and you did not get amnesty, you can go to prison. Were you scared? I was scared. I was really scared. At the moment, there are still people in prison sitting there. Janusz Wallace, for instance, he, the, 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 the amnesty committee said he was not telling the truth. So you must tell everything, and if you are not going to do that, and they re regard that you, have telling, you are telling lies, you would, can go to prison. And this is what happened in the case of Janusz Wallace and some other people that are still in prison. And I consulted widely with my ex-colleagues and people, and I also went down to see P.W. Botha and said, should I, I apply for amnesty? And he said, well, why do you want to apply for amnesty? You have just done your job. I said, sir, do you, do you remember that you told me that I must do something? He said, no, I can't remember that. But th then a friend of mine sent me a note. And he said, read Matthews 5, 23 and 24. Now, my brother and sister, you can go and read that. There it is stated clearly. And these are the words of Jesus. When you bring your offering to the altar and there you remember that somebody has got something against you, leave your offering before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and bring your, your offering. And when I read it, I said, but this is exactly my position. There are people in this country who have things against me for what I did to them. So I must go and ask for, for, for forgiveness, go and ask for, for, for amnesty. And I did that, and I got the, the amnesty. But, and I thought, I, I, I mean, I, I, I felt relieved. I had so good feeling. I felt free. But then there were still some outstanding matters, and even today there are still outstanding matters. Mm, yeah. But I, I, I try to, you, you see, the, 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 the hekje wat jy was that you must tell the truth. And if you didn't know the truth, and because of fear, many policemen were not prepared to tell the truth because they were afraid that they would be sent to prison. But the problem was for us, in, in, in the leadership positions, we didn't know everything what they did. So we could not ask for amnesty in one instance. And that was, there was an attempt on the life of Reverend Frank Sikani. And uh, when I, I heard about the attempt, I asked, where did it happen? In, in, it happened in Vintuk. This was the info that I received. And I said, but then it couldn't be the police because the police were not working outside South Africa. His life was safe because he was directly, immediately flying to the United States. He was treated there, and he recovered fully. And this is also the will of the Lord. But when, when we had to apply for amnesty, and there was a cut-off date, you had to apply before a certain date, we did not know all the, did not have all the evidence about this incident with the Reverend Frank Sikani. So we could not apply for amnesty. It was only years later when we found out what really happened. The police, it was the police, the policemen, they told us later, they put the poison in his clothes at Jan Smuts airport when he flew to, to Vintuk that evening. And the next morning, evening, when he put on his clothes, he, he became ill. But luckily, as I said, he was on his way to, to the United States, and that saved his life. But then we started to find out, now, what can we do now? 
and uh, President Mbeki was the president at that stage because we didn't want to go now and ask, you, you couldn't ask for amnesty anymore. You just had to admit that you have done it. And if you have done it, and the, 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 national, the director of national prosecutions should decide to prosecute you, you would end up in prison. There's no, there's no two ways about that. And Reverend, uh, uh, President Mbeki said, okay, we, uh, in, on our side there are also people that are afraid to go to prison and let us make a, put another, uh, another step that you can take that, will not, that you will not end up in prison. You must tell everything, you must make everything clear, you will be uh, in, interrogated fully and then it, you can put it on the table in Parliament so that everybody knows there's nothing under the mat. So you must, must come clear and tell everything. Then you, the National Prosecuting Authority could decide not to prosecute you. And we decided, we spoke about it at length, and we decided to follow that route. And we fill in forms and, and, and we even uh, went through a lie detector test and uh, it was submitted to... To the, to the national prosecuting authorities, and then we had to wait. And then on the 3rd of July 2006, there appeared an article in the Bild newspaper about a fighter pilot of the South African Air Force chasing terrorists in southern Angola, and he told me himself, Pine Pinar said, Pumala Hartlop, they ran into a hut, and I put in two missiles into that hut, but to my horror, when it exploded, I saw that in that hut, there was not only the terrorists, the people they running into the heart, there were also women and children, and they were also killed in that attack. That happened on the 3rd of July, and when I read it, I, a thought came into my mind, but I should do this, and I should go and ask for Reverend Frank Sikani, and ask for his forgiveness. And Pine said to, said to, to, to me, I, I, I mean, this happened, and I could not get peace with my conscience. And the lady worked for me for eight years, and I said to her one morning, the Holy Spirit convicted me that I must do something. I asked the lady, will you forgive me for what we did to your people? And she said, yes, I forgive you. And then he, a thought came into my mind. He said that I must ask her to wash her feet, to prove to her that I'm really serious, that I'm not a boss man anymore, but that I'm prepared to humble myself before you. And when I read it, I, I, I thought, you... I should do this to Frank Sikani. And there were uh, and, and other incidents with nine mothers from Mamalori. Their children, ten of their children were also killed. I was not responsible, but I was the minister that, during that time. And uh, I know about that. And I thought, no, I should wash their feet and ask for their forgiveness. But I did nothing. That was on the 3rd of July, 2006. And then on the 18th of July, uh, 2006, that same month, I bought a booklet on the road with Peter. And there the, the Duomini, the Reverend, explained the meaning of feet washing. Feet washing, humble yourself, love your, your neighbor, love the person that you are washing the feet with, and so on, and get off your high horse and, and humble yourself. And I said, you, but I must do something about this. Once again, I did nothing. 18th of July, 2006. On the 31st of July, uh, the Older of our people here will remember that five minutes to ten every morning there was a short uh, sermon on uh, Radio South Africa every day, five minutes to ten. That morning, the Duomini read from John 13, verse 14 to 17, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. 
And when I read it, I, I said, I realize the Lord is speaking to me now. He wants me to do something. I cannot ignore it anymore. I phoned Frank Chikani's office. We have got to know the, his, his staff well. There was a lady with his private secretary, Tandi. I said, Tandi, I have to see the reverend. Normally she would ask, send me a memorandum so that I can put it before him. That day she said, sir, I will see what I can do. And uh, uh, I said, thank you very much. I went to Makru, I bought a little, a little bit, uh, a little squirrelty, a little basin, plastic, because they have got a machine there in the union buildings that they can pick up uh, uh, metal. And, and I put, put it in, in, in my briefcase with two little towels that I've got from road running. And I put in a Bible like this one, in which I've written certain things. And I put this also in my briefcase. And then I waited. The next day, the Tuesday, the, 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 31st of, was on a Monday, the 1st of August, 2006. I visited a friend in, in, uh, in the hospital. I drive directly home, and when I opened the door of the, of the, of the flat, the phone rang. It was Tandy. She said, sir, if you can be here before 5 o'clock, he can see you for five minutes. I said, I'm coming. And I grabbed my briefcase in my bucket, and I, I rushed for the union buildings. It is 15 kilometers further, and it was raining in Pretoria, and if it's raining in Pretoria, you know, then the, all the civil servants are with their cars in the streets. Five minutes to five, I was sitting in Petrick Street. I could see Frank's office, but I know I was going to be late. I phoned, and I must tell you this little, little bit of detail. It showed to you how the Lord is working in the minutest detail. I phoned, somebody answered the phone, and I said, this is so-and-so. I have uh, an appointment with Reverend Sikani. Just tell him that I'm on my way, but I'm sitting here in the traffic. He laughed and I said, why are you laughing? He said, sir, my name is Nicholas. I know you well. I was a police instructor at the Ahmanskral Police College. You visited us frequently. I know you quite well. I will make sure that he will be here. I said, how are you going to do that? He said, sir, I will take him nowhere because I'm his driver. <laughs> so he will be waiting for you. I ran in there five minutes past five. Frank Chikani was standing in his door. He was irritated. And, and because I was five minutes late, he said, come in. And uh, he sat there in the chair, and I sat here. He called one of his staff and said, come, you must take notes. And then he said, yes, what can I do for you? And I took out the Bible, and I said, Reverend, I want to ask for your forgiveness today. And I have written in the Bible, dear Reverend Frank, I've sinned against the Lord and against you. Will you please forgive me? And I quote there Psalm 51. My brothers and sisters, if you want to, to ask for somebody's forgiveness, read Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is quite clear when the, 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 the prophet spoke to David about Bathsheba. He, he's not, David did not say yes, Stefan. And, I, and, and I, I gave the Bible to Frank, and he looked at it, and he, he, he discussed it a little bit. But in my briefcase, there was a little bit, a little basin with two small towels, and I was too scared to ask him to allow me, will he allow me to wash his feet? And my brother and sister, I say it to my shame, I was not afraid of the Lord. I wasn't scared of the Lord. I was scared of people. I was, a, I was an elected member of parliament. I was a minister. And in South Africa, this minister is now going to ask a black man to wash his feet, to stand on your knees in front of a black man. I was too scared to do that. And my soul must have cried out to the Lord. And he helped me. 
And suddenly, I can remember it clearly, I asked, Reverend, will you please allow me to wash your feet? And he was taken aback. He sat back in his chair and he said, why do you want to do that? And I said, I want to prove to you that I am humbling myself before you, that I love you, and that I really, and, uh, uh, that I am really sorry for what I did to you. And then he told me a little story. We haven't heard that before. He said, one day, the security police from, from uh, Johannesburg and his driver come to, to my, our house in, in a lady in Soweto, pick up my mother and myself, whilst they were looking for my brother who was on, on a train on the train from Johannesburg to Soweto, and they were waiting for me on the stations. And whilst they were driving over the radio, one of the policemen at the station asked the commander, what should we do if we find him? And immediately the police, the commander said, shoot him on sight. He said, I have to take my mother to a doctor because he was, he was terrified. I said, you see, Frank, there are things that I haven't known about that. And I want to ask, I want to come clean. I want to say I'm sorry for everything that we did. And I want to prove it to you by standing on my knees in front of you to humble myself before you, to tell you that I'm, that I'm off my high horse. I'm nothing anymore. Like I said to you this morning, it's only in Christ. And what did Christ do? He stood on his knees in front of all of us, of all human beings, all the sinners. So I said, will you please allow me to do that? And then he said, okay, you can do it. And I took out the, 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 the little basin and the towels, and he said, okay, you come prepared, I can see that. Took water from, the, from, his, from his desk, poured it in the little basin, sprinkled it over his feet, and uh, dried with the towels. He prayed for us, and I prayed, and I cried, and he cried, and then he, I, I dried his feet again, and he put on his socks and his shoes, and when I stood up, I said, please, Reverend, can we please keep this quiet? Don't tell anybody. And, 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 and I left the, the office, I went home, I told my wife, but nobody else. And that was on the Tuesday. And that Sunday I visited him in his church in a lady. He spoke about that with his, with his congregation and people there. Nothing appeared in the media. And when I, I was thinking about him, as I said to you, I was also thinking about the nine mothers from Mamalodi. And I thought nobody is going to, to ask them because maybe the Lord has forgotten about them. But during the, this month, nothing happened, nothing in the media, nothing in the press. The, 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 the lady who was our, was our contact with the mothers, she phoned me and said, the mothers would like to see you. And I said, okay, okay, now it is coming again. That Friday morning, the 25th of August, 2006, I was drinking, having tea with them in the house of that lady with all nine mothers sitting there. And once again, we, we had tea and cookies, and it was nice, and they sang a song and so on. And there I was sitting again, afraid to ask them whether they will be allowed me to wash your feet, because now it was ladies, and they are ordinary people. And what, 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 what I, I was thinking, what would happen if they say no? But in any case, the Lord helped me again, and I asked them. And they were shocked, and they were talking in their language five minutes. But there was one lady there, Salvina, Lavina is her name. She's a, a, a cripple, she walked with crutches. She was sitting there that morning with white, little white tackies and pink sockies, but she had And while they were still talking, she was sitting on the side. She took off her tackies and the socks and said, Sir, come and wash my feet. And then the walls broke. 
We cried and they, all of them said, come forward and said, wash our feet. And we had a very nice morning, but I was drained. I went home that evening, that after, late afternoon. I went home and I told my wife. And the next morning, my late mother came to me with the newspaper, the built newspaper. And on the front pages, there was this story now. And my late mother said, my, 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 kind, my son, what have you done now? That, that is the story. And for, 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 for four weeks afterwards, it was chaos. They, 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 many people regarded me as a traitor. They phoned me and my and But I felt happy because I know it was the right thing to do. And my brother and sister, if, 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 if you, you have, and, and there are people, I know there are people, people don't have committed the sins that I have committed. But if you have committed a sin, you have hurt somebody, please go to that person and ask for forgiveness. That Jesus is, is quite clear in Matthew 5. He did not say consider asking for forgiveness. He said go. It is a, it is a command. And you know what happened to me? I didn't do it, Corey, because at that, at that stage, Corey was gone already. She committed suicide on the 28th of July, 1994. She was gone. So as I'm sitting here today, I've tried to do, and I'm still busy doing that, to make right with everybody that I've heard that I can remember, as Jesus told me. But she's gone. I cannot do that to her. Yes, Don't postpone it. Do it as soon as possible. But do it. It is a command as I see it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Amfrok. We can go on and on and on and tell other stories. One flock, they had a, a domestic worker work for them for 52 years, almost my age. And I had a privilege to meet her. And she told me some of these stories. He called the whole family, his children, his wife, and this woman, and she washed her feet. She told me. And then she said, Trevor Nesizul. Then now, Zusizugut, why Lutata law, Afunuwashi, Inyauzam. And so, with other people that he, he, Wamflok has washed his feet. One day I was with the sister of a French Chicani, the, 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 the pastor that Wamflok has spoke about. And I'm just talking about it. And he said, Listen, Trevor. One day on Sunday morning in, in Soweto, Soweto uh, uh, Naledi is a suburb uh, in Soweto. It's right at the backyard of Soweto. He said, one Sunday morning, we were preparing for church, and the next thing we see this figure walking in, and then and we realize it's a white guy. We don't have white members in our church. And as he approached, we realize it's one flock, driven himself all the way from Pretoria to Soweto by himself. I'm saying this to say, in this country, white people have brought the gospel to us, black people in this country. Yes, in the northern part of the, of the continent, it was not Europeans who brought the gospel, it was the, the, the Arabs or, 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 or the Jewish people, because Egypt and all those parts of the country next to, to, uh, to Judea and all those places where Jesus was born. But certainly in, this, in, the, in the southern part of Africa, it was brought by white people. 
And I want to quote somebody who put it like this. He said, when white people brought the gospel to, to black people, they told black people that God loved you. But they never told them that we love you too. And then we black people, we still continue with the message of the gospel. Despite that it was used to subjugate us and to oppress us. And till to this day, 2019, the pain is still deep. Apartheid was used. I was going to quote, uh, uh, I came with a book here. There's a quotation by D.F. Malan who said, we as the Nets, the National Party people, we were taught by the church how to apply apartheid. So in conclusion, and believe me when I say in conclusion, pastors are notorious to say in conclusion, after 10 minutes they say, finally. <laughs> and after 30 minutes they say, lastly. So, so believe me, so him and I, we are criminals, so you can, can accept that. I know you do that, we do that. Uh, uh, but believe me, he quoted a verse that says, when you go into the temple, in those days, they go to temple and they come with a sacrifice. Jesus says, if you remember or you realize you have an issue with somebody, put your sacrifice aside. Go and reconcile. Put your worship aside. To put the vertical aspect, the relationship with God aside, so to speak. Because God can wait. God can wait. But reconciliation, that's why he talks about his former wife, his late wife. He cannot wait. This country, we have emphasized the vertical aspect of the worship. We, we find it easy to worship, to sing and do all these things. And we postponed and postponed and postponed the, the, the horizontal aspect of the gospel. We have not reconciled. We are sitting here today. This meeting that we are sitting here, it's expired long ago. We're supposed to be dealing with these things many, many, many years ago. 2019, we're still dealing with reconciliation when actually we should have dealt with it many, many years ago. We play games in the church. We are nice, you know, at a detrimental of people in this country. Christians, black and white, we need to be real. We need to be authentic. The Fanagalo gospel of making us happy and nice, it doesn't work anymore. Poverty is coming now. It's coming closer to us. They are taking the land. And there is hope because of Jesus Christ. And it's not just a nice Christian needs to say that we need to come together and talk about these things and pray and implement. When I see what he's doing in his day-to-day -day life, I can tell you a lot. Actually doing my research on him through the University of Pretoria to authenticate, to say this is what I've researched. Unless the church does something about reconciliation, and reconciliation is not cheap. It costs somebody's son on the cross. And we must be able to pay for that. And I'm challenging you as Christians in the South. I'm also in the South. We need to stand up and do something about this. You didn't choose to be white. 
You didn't choose to be black. You didn't choose to be a woman. You didn't choose to be a woman. You didn't choose to be this and that. God gave you that color and he put you into this country for a reason. Don't run away to Australia. Don't run away to other countries. God could have chosen you to make you a Chinese and planted in you. He put you here for a reason and for that, God is going to use you with your skin. Don't apologize for your skin color. Don't, don't, don't come and be uh, and trying to explain or blame your forefathers or, or blame people like this. They must take responsibility. God gave you a white skin. He will use you to change this country. God gave me a black skin. God is going to use my black skin to change this country. I'm here to tell you that God inside this black skin has changed me and he can change you. May the Lord bless this church. May you be a bomb in this country. God bless you. Folks, please let's stand and let's thank our, our guests this morning. I think we've been so encouraged this morning and challenged. I don't think there's a person in this room that does not have some serious heart work to go and do. Uh, we've just thanked the Lord for uh, what he has done this morning. So uh, Dr. Flock or Umflok and Trevor, thank you very much. But let us give them a round of applause, just thanking them for their time. And folks, I would like to end off this morning by asking the Lord to continue the work in our, in our hearts and in our church as we become ministers of the reconciliation that we have received in Christ. So let us pray. Father, we thank you that we've heard such a powerful testimony of the outworking of your gospel. Father God, this is something that is birthed in, in the cross, that is brought through a church, but ultimately played itself out in the real world, in broken hearts and broken lives. And Father, we all have many situations where we need to step in faith and in obedience to live out the gospel we've received in Christ in real relationships, in real hurt, and in a real hurting country. And so Father God, we have no shortage of opportunities before us to live out a reconciliatory uh, gospel, Father God, and to love our neighbor and to love you and to honor you and live that out in this country. And so, Father God, give us great courage as we've heard of great courage, but equally give us great humility to consider others better than ourselves as your word teaches us. Father God, and in that way, to show the world a different way of being and in that way live out the kingdom of God and the love of God amongst us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, lead us. Lead us today. Transform our hearts transform our thinking and lead us into our lives and our families and our communities to be this and do this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.